Amen. And thank you, choir. Thank you, Ed. We got news last night that Papa wouldn't be here with us this morning. And um, our choir and, and music team pivoted wonderfully. And, and thank you all for, for these. I love acapella music. And so it always gets me right right here when you sing that song. So thank you. Thank you all so much. We are continuing in our, our series, our Lenten series, through prayer, which is designed to give us practical tools practical tools for, for how we can connect with God throughout the week, throughout, throughout the season. And if you look around the sanctuary, you can see uh, some of those practices that we've, we've joined in practicing together uh, on Wednesday nights. So you can see this, this orange piece of fabric or this orange blanket. You can see the, the, the prayer, uh, the kneeling bench over there, the, the canvas over here. And uh, Pastor Daryl mentioned quite a few uh, people in our congregation who are in need of prayer today. And um, so at some point, maybe in the middle of the sermon, if you need to do something, um, maybe not in the middle of the sermon, but at, at some point, if you want to get up and, and pray for some of those people, I'd invite you to, to kind of walk over to the, uh, the, the the prayer blanket and you can tie a knot, pray for them, pray over them. Uh, there's a lot of folks in our congregation in need. A lot of us uh, have people in our, our family who are in need of prayer too. So I invite you uh, to do that. About three years ago when most of the world shut down and we all had to figure out how to, to live with limited contact with other people. Y'all remember that? Yeah, you don't, don't want me to mention it. Um, yeah, we, we, all, we all had to kind of figure out how to do life in a different way. And, and our family invited a wonderful person into our, our bubble. At, at the time, she was a graduating senior in high school. Uh, her dad is a pastor. Her mom is a teacher. So she understood the dynamic in the roadie household. She spent over a year investing in our kids until she was actually able to leave for college her sophomore year of school. Early on in the pandemic, Hadley hung out with our kids a few hours each and every week and gave them and gave us a little bit of normalcy in a crazy, crazy time. And one of the things that she did that I will be forever grateful to Hadley for is she, she introduced a, a new habit that we still continue uh, at the dinner table each and every night with our family. It, she, she talked about having uh, everybody share their roses and their thorns for the day. Now, I had, I had talked about sharing your best and your worst. Right, we, we we had talked about best and worst at, around the table and those sorts of things. But when she talked about roses and thorns, she said, "Roses, you share your roses because you share the things that are lovely. You share the things that are are, are, are lovely, and you share the thorns because sometimes there's things that happen in our day that that sting a little bit." Sometimes it's it's easy to come up with those roses and those thorns, but but usually. Usually it takes a little bit of work because most of what happens throughout the day is somewhere in the middle. It's not a rose. It's not a, not a thorn. It's just kind of the, the mundane, just kind of the, the normal parts of life. Sometimes our family celebrates during, during dinner, we celebrate things that are seemingly small, catching a ball, eating a good cookie, reading a favorite story for the hundredth time. And other times, more significant things come out. 
Something happened at school that the kids need to unpack. Something happened at home that caused one of the children plenty of hurt. It's an exercise that invites us to reflect and to remember, which is actually a big part of what we're talking about here during Lent. We're talking about reflecting and remembering and and sharing what's on our heart and what's in our mind with God. So during the second week of Lent, we explored prayers of lament, which are up here on the, the communion table. We, we talked about writing prayers of lament, those, those times where we, we deal with something thorny and we go to God and we say, Ugh! and this morning we're talking about roses and how we can give thanks for those. So our second passage comes from the beginning of Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, which was a community that that Paul was especially fond of. He loved these people, and these people loved him. Now, Philippi was a, a somewhat small Roman colony in the middle of Macedonia. It sat along this road that was called the Agatian Way, and it was a road that was about 700 miles long that connected uh, various cities. And unlike some of the other cities where, where the earliest churches took their roots, there were very few residents in Philippi who had uh, a Jewish background. So most of the Philippians, they were, they were either Greek or Latin speaking. They were merchants. They were tradespeople. They weren't necessarily philosophers. They were, they were, they were kind of working class people. And he opens his letter in a way that's not all that different from the other letters that he writes. Though his opening words here, his opening words of thanks, they're a little more drawn out than we see elsewhere. So starting at verse 3, we read this. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, To the glory and praise of God, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A little over a decade ago, a guy named John Ortberg wrote a book called When the Game's All Over, It All Goes Back in the Box. And in this book, he reminds people, to to, to his readers, to, to, to remember that all that we have is really God's in the first place. So we can, we can play the game of, of life. It's a spinoff of the game of life. Any game of life fans out there? I love the game of life. It's a spinoff of the game of life where you, you play the game of life and then you put the game away. The game, the game is done. And one of the more memorable lines from the book is that gratitude is the ability to experience life as a gift. It liberates us from the prison of self-preoccupation. 
one of the more common things that we hear when, when someone from a, a developed country like ours returns after visiting a developing country, whether it's for a, a mission trip of some sort or any other type of trip, is something along the lines of the people there, the people in this place where I visited, they have so little, but they smile so much. I remember feeling that way after returning from Malawi for the first time. I remember feeling that way. Actually, I should say I feel that way every time I drive past or drive back across the border from Mexico. I've heard similar sentiments from, from friends and family members who have spent time in Haiti and Belize and Uganda. My guess is that most of us here, if we haven't experienced that on our own, that we know people who have. Learning to experience life as a gift is one of the, the many lessons that followers of Christ in our culture can learn from other places in the world. For whatever reason, a lot of us, a lot of us that live in context like the one that, that we are in with our kind of 21st century American mindset, we get stuck in, in, in this idea that Ortberg refers to as the prison of self-preoccupation. It's easy to fixate on, on ourselves. It's easy to fixate on what we don't have, on the life that we, we could have had, on the mistakes that we've made. And it takes a lot of work and energy to remind ourselves that life itself is a gift. In developing routines or habits around prayer, especially prayer of thanksgiving, they, they go a long way to, to get us out of that, that kind of prison of self-preoccupation to, to remind us that life itself is a gift. The first passage that we read this morning, Psalm 100, um, that you all memorized with Pastor Daryl, um, I've never memorized it. I know it's only five verses. I've never done it. Been good at, at memorizing scripture. Um, it's a good one. It's a good challenge. I'm going to go home and, and work on that this week. So the first passage is one of the more well-known psalms. We often uh, use it or some form of it in a, a call to worship here in church a couple times a year. Uh, I actually preached on this psalm um, my second day here as pastor at WPC. It was nearly five and a half years ago. It was a Tuesday evening. We were hosting our, our presbytery meeting here, and I made the joke that I hadn't even been here long enough to really know where the bathrooms were. And I shared some about what I learned between leaving my previous church and, and coming here. I had spent uh, eight to nine days on a retreat with our denomination, and it was, was a retreat that I'd been planning on going on for a couple of, of years. I didn't plan to do it in this in-between time, but it's just how, how it happened. The retreat was in Louisiana, and it, it couldn't have come for a better time for me personally. And during that, that time, I was reminded of two, two truths, two truths that I think are, are evident in this psalm. The retreat reminded me that in addition to being a husband, a dad, a son, a brother, a pastor, that I'm a child of God. And that I had forgotten, so that's the first reminder, that I am a beloved child of God. And the second one is that 
I had just forgotten how to worship. I, I had forgotten how to worship. I'd been so preoccupied with planning worship services, with, with figuring out sermon series, that I had forgotten how to just come to church and, and worship. Quite frankly, that's why a couple months ago I showed up and sat in the back in church. Some of you said, hey, you're, you're in your street clothes. What, what's going on? It's because I wanted to join you all for worship. I wanted to join you all for worship. So I, I needed that time to remind me that I'm a child of God and to, to remind me of what it was like to worship, that I was created to worship. This psalm reminds me of that. So during that, that second day here, I reminded the pastors and the church leaders who were, were at Presbytery to remember that they're loved by God and to not forget that they are called to participate in worship. In five short verses in Psalm 100, we're, we're, we're brought back to the why. We're bought, brought back to the, the why we worship. We have all kinds of reasons to be thankful. The picture that's, that's painted in this psalm is reminiscent of what we'll be celebrating next Sunday with Palm Sunday. Entering a place shouting for joy, singing out loud, worship. And the psalmist gives four reasons to be, to be thankful. First, starting in verse 3, we can be thankful because of who God is. We are thankful because of God is God. It's not just about what God has done, but it's about who God is. And second, that God is our, our creator. We simply wouldn't exist without God. And third, that God is our, our, our redeemer. It's this, this picture of sheep and a shepherd in, in the pasture. And that a good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Then we get to the second half of the psalm and we, we see an, another reason to be grateful. There's a picture painted of a temple in Jerusalem and the God who is sitting on the throne is personal and the God who is sitting on the throne is good and the God who is sitting on the throne is offering unending love and that God is faithful and will be faithful for ages and ages to come. The psalm is one that it points to the past, remember. To the present, look where you are. And to the future, ages and ages to come. So when Paul writes this letter to the church in Philippi, he starts with a, a prayer of thanksgiving, recounting a prayer of thanksgiving that, that mirrors or echoes the worship song of thanksgiving that we read about or that we read in Psalm 100. So Paul, he had, he had visited Philippi at least twice and on his way there again, he's, he's arrested. And so he, he's writing to his friends from, from imprisonment in, in, in Rome. And from the get-go, in the place that you would think that he would normally include his salutations and, and his greetings... He thanks God. He doesn't just greet the church. 
He thanks God. You can almost picture him smiling as he remembers his friends. I thank God every time I think of you. What's easily lost in these early greetings is that by, by this point in Paul's life and in Paul's ministry, he had seen quite a bit. And to say it hadn't been all that easy for him would be an understatement. He, he had been through a lot, all kinds of hurt, all kinds of pain, but he doesn't dwell on that hurt. He doesn't dwell on that pain. Instead, in the midst of Roman imprisonment, he starts with being thankful. It's not like he was trying to sugarcoat what he had been through. And I don't think, as we think of, of gratitude, and as we think of prayers of thanksgiving, I don't think we are called to just ignore the thorns in our lives. I don't think that is what, what he's getting out here. But my guess is we can look to some of the most difficult times in our lives and though we have to look quite a bit, we might have to, to dig a little deeper, we can look at those difficult times and eventually find reasons to be grateful. Maybe it's a person who showed up in the midst of something incredibly difficult. Maybe it's a lesson you learned because of a particular trial. Or maybe it's the simple fact that, that you survived through something that you never thought you would get through when you were going through it. And I don't think this is an invitation to wear rose-colored glasses as we look in the rearview mirror of our lives. To just kind of, again, sweep those painful experiences under the rug. It's often with space and time that, that we can find reasons to be grateful for the past. It took me about a, a decade to find a reason to be thankful for the constant ringing in my ear that came when I was diagnosed with Meniere's disease. I was in my early 20s. Why did I have this disease? Why was I dealing with this? Why? In the midst of it, yeah, I was in the middle. I was going through it. And it might sound like an odd reason to be grateful, but today the ringing's constantly there. And when I'm stressed, guess what? The ringing is way louder. So what do I know to do? To rest. The ringing that came with this disease, I'm grateful. It's like an internal barometer to, to tell me to, to lay down, to tell me that I need rest. If you were to ask me that when I was 25 years old, I would have said, I'll never be grateful for this. Now, that doesn't mean I love the ringing. There are plenty of times where I, I just long to experience silence. But there's at least one good thing that comes from it. Paul wasn't thankful for the past because it was free of pain and free of hurt. I'm sure he carried all kinds of scars that reminded him of his painful past. But along with those scars, he remembered that God was up to something. And there was a community that he loved in Philippi that reminded him that God was up to something. And then he, he turns to the present. Now, I don't think any of us would fault Paul for, for focusing on the, the negative part of his, his situation here. Remember, he's in Roman prison. 
I'm guessing if I were writing a letter from a similar place, it wouldn't start this way. I'm guessing it would be help. I had plans. I had plans that I thought were God's plans. Help. Help. But instead, he gives thanks for what the followers in Christ in Philippi were up to. He gives thanks for their partnership in the work of the gospel. Later, later in the letter, he, he doubles down on offering thanks for his friends. He, he's able, he, he writes that he's able to be content in both plenty and in want because of the fellowship of his friends. To put it simply, Paul was grateful for his people, for his community, even when he was miles and miles away from them. Earlier this week, uh, I was asking a mentor for advice that had to do with a, a person who is close to me. I was trying to explain that no matter what I did or no matter what I said, conversations with this person stirred me up. They woke me up in the middle of the night. You don't have to raise your hand if you've had conversations with people, family members and friends in your life that have that, but I'm, I'm guessing we all have them. And, and, and the mentor said, well, when you think of this person, what do you do? I said, well, it wakes me up in the middle of the night. What do you think I do? I want to go back to sleep. I want to go back to sleep. And he said, hey, why don't you pray for them? Say, I, I can do that. I can pray that they'll change. I, I, I can pray that they'll, they'll let it go. I can pray that, that, that things will be fine. I, yeah. I, I said, oh, why don't you thank God for them? And he said, prayer isn't just for the other person. It's for your heart too. Who are you thankful for today? As you think of the people in your lives, and they might be people that you're, you're incredibly grateful for, like Paul is when he's writing to the, the, the church in Philippi. Or they might be those people that kind of get under your skin sometimes. Who are you thankful for? What does it look like for us to thank God for the people who are, are in our lives, who are journeying with us? So Paul, Paul looks to the past and he turns to the present. And then following kind of that, that model from Psalm 100, he, he, he looks at the future. He knew that God was the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And he reminds the people at the church in Philippi and reminds us that, that whatever God starts, God finishes, even if we can't see the finish line. Paul doesn't say that the Philippians were, were a perfect community in any way. He, he doesn't say that they had it all figured out. He doesn't say that they, they didn't have any weaknesses. But he does say, the God who is working in you is going to keep working in you, keep having you grow until the day of Christ Jesus. And later in the letter, he acknowledges that, that he himself, he himself still had work to do. So he pressed on. He continued to grow, looking toward the future. He, 
Think about where, where he's writing from again. He's, he's imprisoned in Rome. He doesn't know what's next. He doesn't know if he has more ministry to come. He, he, he doesn't know. And he thanks God for the future. Now, the future holds a degree of uncertainty no matter who you are. Whether we're talking about tomorrow, literally tomorrow, or next week, next year, the next ten years. And Paul's words here, they, they remind us that we can be confident in God's faithfulness. That extends, as Psalm 100 says, maybe I do have a part of it memorized, from generation to generation. It's God's faithfulness that we can be grateful that God is faithful and will continue to be faithful until the day of Christ Jesus. So throughout this series, I've tried to send us all home with some, hey, go home and, and pray this way. Practice what we're talking about so you can spend time intentionally connecting with your Creator. And this week, I want to invite you to practice a roses and thorns prayer of sorts. Find time each day. Maybe it's in the morning. Maybe it's, it's in the evening. Whatever works with you to sit down with God. To sit down to, to find at least one reason to be grateful for something in the past. And at least one reason to be grateful for something that's today. And for, to find at least one reason to be grateful for what's coming tomorrow. Now, don't ignore those difficult parts of your day. Again, I don't, I don't think we're called to come to God in prayer and say everything's great when there's difficulties too. Admit those thorns. But also take time to give thanks. Think through the past as far back as you'd like to go. Maybe it's thinking, thanking God for a, a friend or a family member who helped you decades ago. Maybe it's someone who showed up just yesterday. Think about the present. Who are you grateful for right now? And think about the future. Even when, or even with the inevitable uncertainty that, that comes with being human, that comes with not having the whole picture. Let's pray. Holy God, we, we thank you for the gift of life, Lord, for the gift of community, for people to, to journey together with, and Lord, for the gift of worship. As we come to you in prayer this week, may our hearts be shaped by gratitude. We pray these things in your name. Amen.